context of what uh, the previous verses were speaking to us. We see how uh, the writer is pleading with us about uh, brotherly love, about being a friend to even uh, strangers, to have the family with marriage as something that is precious and something that is honourable and not to be uh, defiled, to have our speech, our conversations with one another, to be good and honourable. And at the end of verse 5, we have how we are able to do that because, as the writer says, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Lord our God is our helper. He is the one that we lean on. He is our crutch, as it were. Without him, uh, we are not able. And so we come, therefore, to uh, verse 9, ultimately, and we're talking about that, that strength that we have not in any worldly thing, but in Christ alone. To be satisfied, therefore, with Christ Jesus. To have him as our helper and our only helper. To be knowing that he is the one who will meet all of our needs. And we know that that is a difficult thing for us to do because it is far easier for us to trust in the things of this world, the strengths of this world, whether they be uh, leaders, politicians, either strong family members, maybe parents even. And therefore, for us to put our trust in God is something that is sometimes alien to us. Far easier to trust in chariots, in horses, as the psalmist would say, rather than trusting in the name of the Lord our God. To make yourself vulnerable, to take the place of a servant even, a servant of Christ Jesus, to forsake the strength, the foundations, the props of the things of this world. For we know, he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That is that promise that he has made to us. And behind that promise is that wonderful understanding, that knowledge that he is for us, not against us. That he is the one whom he says, lean on me, take upon yourself my yoke, for my yoke is easy. And so therefore, when we know uh, that those people who mock us and say, well, obviously you need something to rely on. You need that crutch. You need that 
um, other thing, which we call uh, God, which you call God, as they say. And they may mock us for not standing in our own strength or relying on our own earthly wisdom. And we say, no, our God, our Lord and Savior said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And therefore, we ask that question of ourselves then, does it actually take a stronger position to do that? To put your faith, to put your trust in a God that you cannot see? When you are mocked and derided by those around about you for taking comfort in words that were written 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years ago. And they mock us for believing in something that they believe is not true. And to stand firm and say, no, my God has said, I will never leave me or forsake you. That takes a strength, surely, when life is difficult, when, as we go through, we are in our marriages, when we're in our relationships, when we're in conversations with people. To turn to Christ Jesus and to say, Lord God, give me the strength to carry on in difficulty, rather than turning to maybe the things of this world, counsellors, governments, maybe even um, aid agencies. To not rely on your own strength, your own resources, maybe even your own money. And so what we see as we read through this, as the writer has said, rely on him because he is reliable. And then we ask, well, how do we do this? That's really the, the, the key to this, I believe, is verse 9. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. The heart here. We're told it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. And we know, don't we, that that is not our physical beating heart that the writer is talking about. It is our soul, it is our being, it is our very nature, our very character. It means you, me, what we feel, what we think, what we are looking towards, what we are uh, frightened of, what makes us, what makes you, you, is what he's talking about here. It's a good thing that the heart, it's a good thing that, that you and who you are be established with grace. Be established with grace. 
To be established, we know, is to have our firm footing, to have our feet on solid ground, that we have that established position where we can then go out from, to have that firm foundation, to be able to have that uh, strength, as it were, to be uh, strong, to have that strength of mind, that strength of understanding, and everything that is about us being strong, not weak. And so this evening, our prayer should be that, Christ Jesus, you will make me strong in your grace. That by your grace, my whole being will be uh, strong and established and have that firm foundation that I will not be swept away, that I will not make a shipwreck of my faith, but I will be able to continue on running the race that is set before me. To be able to go and make disciples of all nations. That they may obey Lord God Almighty. Because it's far too easy, isn't it, when we talk about strength. To, to boast in our own achievements, to be able to say, well, I made myself this way. I'm a self-made man or woman. To be able to rely on what we have achieved ourselves. To be that type of person that the writer has been talking about in the first five verses. A one who is living a, a, a life that is under the will of God in our relationships, in our friendships, in our marriages, the relationships we have with our children, with our parents, with our work colleagues, our conversations may be good. Because we know, as we read in verse 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I have no fear of what man may do to me because the Lord God is my helper. It doesn't matter what anybody says about the fact that when you say, well, you're just relying on, on, on a deity on, on a, or even a words that are written in a book by man long ago. No, I'm not going to fear what they say because the Lord my God is my helper. He is the one who will enable me to have that firm foundation because I've built my life on him. So that's our prayer this evening as we turn to verse 9. What does the writer say? He says, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. What we can see here is that the, the writer obviously knows something that we maybe don't know about the church and the people that he's writing to. Maybe in that, uh, in that church they were uh, believing in maybe something that they ate or did. But that's what gave them strength some diverse and strange doctrine. 
And we could carry that on so easily to today. We have uh, diets, so many different name diets that seem to come out week after week after week to help improve your body, your mind, your attitude, to make you stronger and fitter and leaner. And for some, that is their religion, what they are taking into themselves. And it can become at times for them an obsession, what they take in or don't take in, or what they have or don't have, what they eat and don't eat, what they don't drink and what they do drink. Sometimes it can overtake them in their lives. So we can see quite easily what the writer is saying here, because we can see it so easily in the society that we live in today, how people can be carried away by diverse and strange doctrines about uh, meals and foods, as the writer says, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. The writer is saying, don't be overtaken by this. Don't be consumed by things that are really on the outside. You remember Jesus saying, it's, it's not what goes into a man's body. It's what comes out. It's not what goes in that defiles you and makes you unclean. It's what comes out of you that makes you unclean. He referenced the, uh, the, the tombs that were whitewashed, looking good on the outside, but just on the inside, rotten to the core. And so the writer here is talking about eating and taking into yourself not some diverse and strange doctrine, but what he does say in, in the middle of verse 9, it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. And he goes on to say, not with all of these things. So what therefore does it mean for the heart to be established with grace. What is it that the heart, our whole beings, our whole bodies, should be immersed in, established in, have that foundation in? And what he says is, this is what I love about uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is where Christ Jesus is exalted on high. And the author, he goes into the Old Testament and he uses what's in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and he brings it to bear on Christ Jesus and says, look at Christ Jesus, how he has fulfilled and therefore he is the better way, a better word. And what does he say in verse 10? He says, we have an altar. We have an altar. And we could say, well, we don't have an altar anymore. We may have a communion table, but we certainly don't have an altar because the sacrifices are over. And we also know that Christ Jesus sacrificed once and for all. So where is, what is this altar that he's talking about here? We have an altar. And he says, whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. 
they have, so, so it's differentiating here between the, the old covenant and the new covenant, because fully aware that the sacrifices in the temple are still ongoing up until AD 70 when the Romans destroyed uh, Jerusalem and the temple. They were continuing on that old covenant of sacrificing the animals, the atonement being uh, gained. But knowing, because they were still looking forward and looking unto the Messiah who was still to come. And the writer says here in verse 10, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. They don't have any right to eat from this altar that we are at. Because what he's showing us is that the difference between the priests in Jerusalem who have rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as their Savior, as their Lord, and they're continuing on serving in the tabernacle, serving in the temple. But we have an altar. We have an altar. Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice, the cross of Jesus, the final altar of sacrifice. And if you've been reading through uh, Hebrews, and if you read it, Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verse 26, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of of himself by he's put away sin by the sacrifice of himself it's our wonderful savior the sacrifice of jesus on the cross out with the gate out with the city wall and so the altar that the uh, a writer has in mind here. What he's talking about here is the cross of Christ, where our final sacrifice was offered once for all for our sins. And this is what the writer is saying. This is the food. This is what you are to eat of, not of the meats or those diverse and strange doctrines that do not profit them, that they're occupied with, Nothing like that at all. No, we come to the cross of Christ Jesus, the final sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. We have an altar. And so therefore, as we go back to verse 9, as we all tie all of this into verse 9, it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace and so therefore we have an altar of grace an altar of grace and there that meal that was prepared for us that we are to eat of that we are to eat of now is the cross of christ where jesus died for your sins that is what we eat of. That is where we gain our nourishment. That is where we gain our strength. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. 
the altar of Christ Jesus. So therefore, Holy Spirit comes upon you makes you aware of your sin and how you have grieved the Father and you fall down before a holy God and say, I have sinned, I have sinned, what can I do? The only thing we can do is come to the altar of grace, the altar of grace, where Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, that we may have hope for a life eternal. This is the table that we come to. This is the feast that we are eating of. Not some diverse doctrine, and strange doctrine, not some uh, meat or diet or something that we can take in ourselves to build ourselves up, whether it be money or employment, or acquaintances, or family, or material possessions. Nothing of that is strong in and of itself. But we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat. They are not worshipping the living God. They have not bowed down before the cross of Christ Jesus. They have not acknowledged that he is the saviour of uh, the world, that he alone is able to save them from their sins. Not some animal that is sacrificed on an altar. And that's what he's saying in verse 11. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. And here... This is that uh, uh, tying into to Leviticus, where you go through the uh, the Day of Atonement, where uh, the, the the animal was sacrificed and the, the blood was uh, sprinkled uh, over uh, to cover the sins of the sinners, and the animal was taken outside the the camp. And burned. So he's tying into the Day of Atonement here. That hope of forgiveness. Because they knew and they were looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come. The one that was um, prophesied about all the way back for Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. The seed of the woman would come. His heel would be bruised, but the serpent's head would be crushed. And they knew when they were sacrificing the animals that that was not sufficient. That is what they were told to do and commanded to do, and so therefore they were doing it. But they realized that they had to keep on doing it year on year on year on year. But ultimately they were looking forward to the one who was to come, the Messiah who was to come. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying here, you've missed it. He has come. 
Because of that, because you're not coming to the right altar, you have no right to eat. Because you do not believe the Messiah, Christ Jesus. So what the writer is doing, he's pointing to Christ. And so therefore, as he says in, in verse 12, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. We know that to be true because the cross of Christ at Calvary was outside the city walls, without the city walls, outside the gate. So we have this beautiful overwhelming magnificent act of Jesus who fulfilled by his sacrifice what the sacrifice of countless bulls and animals could never achieve fulfilled the sacrifices of the Day of Atonement. In him, it is finished, completed, done. He cried out on the cross, it is finished, it has been achieved, it has been accomplished, I've done it. And so therefore, we come and we eat at this feast, at this altar of Christ on the cross. But by his Sacrifice by his own blood, by his suffering, we can be healed. And so therefore, we ask again, where is our strength? How are our lives established? As we read in verse 9, it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. It's a good thing that the heart be established with grace, to have a strong heart, to have an established heart, to have our whole beings, our thoughts, our words, our actions, all established, strengthened with grace. As the writer says, there are times when you will fail. There are times when you will not do what you are supposed to be doing in the will of God. There are times when you will know that you are not walking in his way. There are times when you are asking yourself, I want to come closer to God. What do I need to do? And there are so many ways that we can do it which are just so wrong. And we see that, don't we, with all the self-help books that we, we, can, we can go through. And sometimes that's even true in uh, the Christian life as well. So many books that we can just pick up off a shelf or just order online, which lead us to think that if we read this book, if we follow these actions, if we do these things, then it will lead us to maybe a closer walk 
with Christ. I'm not saying those books are maybe not helpful at times, but what I am saying is we have to be very careful. Because it's so easy to get caught up in reading, especially maybe what somebody else has done in their life. And it might not actually be the way of the Father. We have to be so, so careful. Don't turn to diverse and strange doctrines because that is not profitable, the things that they are occupied with. There are so many preachers, so many churches that are preaching a false gospel, so many books that we can read, that we can pick up from the so-called Christian bookshop even, which are actually maybe just good for, or maybe a non-Christian could pick up and actually make a benefit from it. But is it actually coming and being established with grace? Coming to the altar of Christ Jesus? The writer is saying, the only way, the only way to be established is to come and eat not of the things of this world, not of the things that are maybe even pseudo-Christian, but to come to Christ Jesus and to have him as your help. Because he will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The Lord is my helper, we are able to boldly say, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And so therefore, what table are you eating at? Where are you getting your strength from? When you are lost, when you are grieving, when you are upset, when you are discouraged, when you are wondering what to do next, when you are have those moments of, of anger. When you think that God has maybe abandoned you even. Maybe you're in that place of darkness. Where do you eat from? Where do you find your strength? And the writer says in verse 9, For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with. Have your heart established with grace, for that is a good thing. And so this evening, as we come and we pray and we cry out to God, we do cry out for strength. We cry out to him that he would enable us to throw off the things of this world, to not uh, take our strength in our own uh, uh, abilities, maybe the money that we've got stored up even in our own bank accounts, maybe in our own attributes, but actually to rely on him, to delight in him, to come to the cross of Christ. To take pleasure in that, because that is good. It's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. 
Because what we know is that you cannot prolong your life by the food necessarily that you eat or don't eat. Even Paul says, didn't he, about even exercise, ultimately. We can be obsessed with diets and um, exercising and self-help books and gaining strength and wisdom from the world. But where is it that we have our lives established in? If we go back, because I say I feel as if verse nine is is the key, is is, is the center of the, this this chapter, and, and everything seems to uh, uh, be feeding into verse nine. Where else can we get strength? And we we read there in verse seven, and I think this is so helpful to us. He says, "Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow." considering the end of their conversation. We know that, as he says also, as he says in verse 8, immediately after verse 7, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And what the writer is pointing us to here, not only, obviously, and ultimately, the cross of Christ coming to the altar of Christ Jesus. But also looking to those who have gone before us. To that great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. To those historical figures that have already been there and done that. Who have walked the walk. Who have lived by faith. Who have had their hearts established with grace. And we all know, I look to my parents uh, for uh, revealing and, and, and bringing me to, and taking me to church. You maybe have someone in your life who, uh, you, you look back and think, yes, they showed me Jesus. Maybe some patriarchal figure. But even more than that, we have those who have written those wonderful books that we have in the the library, whose works have stood the test of time. Men who have written words which we know to be true. And I think what the writer is saying here They've spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Remember them. Paul said, imitate me. Well, Paul uh, um, uh, was able to say that to those who followed him. Do you read uh, biographies of missionaries, of pastors of old? Do you look to them to see how they lived, how they went through trials and tribulations, to see where they gained their strength from? 
Forget the self-help books. Look to these men and women of old who lived and walked and wrote down their experiences. And to follow them and copy them and to imitate them, therefore, Imitate them, he says, not their lives necessarily, or what they did, or what they said, but their faith, whose faith follow. What do they believe? What do they know and understand about their Lord and Saviour? How were they able to eat and feast and take in what would profit them? What got them through the hard times, the difficult times? What did they delight in, in the Lord? What gave them that strength? What established them on the rock of Christ Jesus? And we know this to be true, and we can say, well, some might say, well, what, what difference did it make what they did? That was that was. That was yesterday, that was a hundred years ago, that was two hundred years ago, that was a thousand years ago. But remember the writer says Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. And so therefore their God is our God. Just, just we know that their God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of the living, not of the dead. Just because they were in the past and they trusted God in the past doesn't mean to say that it makes them irrelevant because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We go on trusting in this same Jesus. They, they went through the same thoughts, feelings, disappointments, anger. Doubts, even. And we can look to them and see how they were strengthened. How were they established? How was their heart, how their very being strengthened? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, therefore we know that we can come to the cross of Christ, to that altar. And what he did even though it was 2,000 years ago, still applies today. Still applies today. Dying once to forgive your sins. And that's how he's able to say, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I never leave thee, nor forsake thee. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His promises never fail. We can't say, well, that was for then, but it's not for now. It's not effective now as it was then. No. And so, to finish, where do you obtain your strength from? How do you establish your heart with grace? 
Where do you look to? Who do you turn to? The writer urges us to not turn to the things of this world, to the old ways, to the things that do not give strength, things that do not profit us. The writer says, no, look to Jesus, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. And we look forward, therefore, to the city of God, the one that is to come. We look to him and him alone. He is our helper. He is our crutch. There is no shame in in saying that. We boast in him and in him alone. It is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. It is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Let us pray. Lord God, we come to you. I pray for those who do not have that uh, forgiveness of sins in their lives, who are turning to Uh, the meats to diverse and strange doctrines of this world for strength, that they may know that that will not save them, but they will only bring eternal death. So Lord, we pray for those who do not know you, that they may turn to you and your feast that is set before them at the altar of Christ Jesus at the cross of Calvary, that by his blood that was shed, the forgiveness of sins was gained for those who trust and believe in him as their Lord and Saviour. And Father, for those of us who are on the way, who believe and trust in you as our Lord and Saviour, I pray that we would keep on eating at your table. In those times when we need that strength to carry on, that we would turn to you and you alone. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. We close our service, the singing of God's word in Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verses 6 through to 9. No sacrifice nor offering <coughs> didst thou at all desire. Mine ears thou bored, sin offering thou and burnt did not require. Then to the Lord these were my words. I come, behold and see. Within the volume of the book it is it written is of me. To do thy will I take delight, O thou my God, thou art. Yea, that most holy law of thine I have within my heart. Psalm 40, verses 6 to 9. <clears throat> no.
next Lord's Day at the usual times of 11am and 6.30pm uh, taken by Pastor Oliver Winkle of Providence Baptist Church Bedford. Now. <clears throat> the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.